Welcome back to Amerisogyny. I'm your host, Hannah Blue. This is episode 22. Let's hear it for the boy. Discussing high-profile men who suffer with mental health. Now, toxic masculinity is a hot topic any day of the week. But what about the good guys? They do exist. Denise Williams' Let's Hear It For The Boy is an upbeat and positive song about a woman supporting her man. Some of the lyrics are, let's hear it for the boy. Let's give the boy a hand. You may know some of the men I talk about today, and some, not at all. But I feel each of these men deserve a hand. Not because they're wealthy or well-known. They should be applauded for standing up and affirming they're not perfect, and championing for male mental health. Some of the material is very graphic and let me advise, I don't do trigger warnings. If you are easily triggered, then I suggest you don't listen to me. I didn't give them when I was on TikTok and I'm not gonna give them on this podcast because for those of us who suffer with mental health, there's no cover or shield for us. Get hit with a panic attack and see who runs to cover you. If you live alone, no one. Talking about mental health isn't the same as opening Vogue magazine. There's nothing glamorous or pretty about it. Now, if you're okay with that, turn in your tickets and let's go for a journey. Our first stop, South Korea. To discuss one of my favorite people, BTS's Suga, aka August D. He released a brilliant song and an equally brilliant video to go with it. Amygdala. I am so proud of him for tackling mental health in such an open and honest way. Now the video comes with a trigger warning. It says, the following content may contain suicide or self-harm topics. It begins with him sitting on a couch and looking very out of it, as if he's taken something to overdose. The beginning of the song is in English, and it goes... I don't know your name. He has a beautiful, clear singing voice. And I love the shades of gray and black he used in the first scene. Then he sings in Korean, how you feeling lately? And he showcases how his shoulder was injured in a car accident. In a BTS clip, he revealed he was afraid he'd be discharged from the group if he revealed what happened to his shoulder. In concert footage, before he had surgery, you can see he struggles with the pain in his shoulder. In the song, he shares his mom had heart surgery, and in one scene, it appears as if he's dead. The ghost of him tries to touch the face of his actual body poised on the couch. He also portrays SIB, self-injurious behavior, by cutting his face with a box cutter, and he pops pills. He tries to escape through a door that was opened, but quickly closes. The lyrics continue with, save me from here, hurry, get me out of here. He sings about his father's liver cancer, and at one point he's sliding across the floor, trying to get out of the situation. Then another version of him jumps off his bike to save the dying version of him, and it's so powerful. It's unlike anything K-pop has ever portrayed. Suicide, self-harm mental health, are all taboo in South Korea. But again, I am so proud of him for stepping up and bringing mental health into the forefront. He used art 
in a brilliant way to depict his pain and trauma in a way that was brutal and beautiful in the same breath. For a man who has admitted he's not good with expressing his emotions, he owned this video. Congratulations to August D. We look forward to many more outstanding projects from you and the rest of BTS. Next stop, Brazil. Shout out to Brazil for listening to us. Let's talk about Ronaldo Nazario. Oh, Finamero, the phenomenon. He is a famous former soccer player, and the man is regarded as one of the greatest players of all time. His position was striker, and his record speaks for itself. He was named FIFA World Player of the Year three times. He said in his days on the field, there was no help for mental health. The phenomenon, the rise, fall, and redemption of Ronaldo is a documentary where he was very candid on his journey with mental health. Ronaldo admitted to suffering from depression. In 2022, he said he had been in therapy for two and a half years and understood himself much better than before. He said, but then again, I'm from a generation in which you were thrown into the arena and you had to do your best without the slightest hint of drama. I look back and I see that, yes, we were exposed to a very, very big mental strain and without any preparation for it. Also, because it was the beginning of the Internet era with the speed at which information travels. At that time, there was no concern about the mental health of the players. Today. Players are much better prepared. They are given the medical attention they need to face the day-to-day. And players are studied more. The profiles of each player. How they react. How they should react. In my time, there was none of that, unfortunately. Because we've known all our lives that soccer can cause a lot of stress and be very decisive for the rest of our lives. The reality is that we didn't even know this kind of problem existed. It was absolutely ignored among our generation. Ronaldo also said, many, obviously, have gone through terrible times, even depression, because of lack of privacy, the lack of freedom. It is true that the problems were very obvious, but the solutions were not very available. Ronaldo seems to be doing very well now. He's a successful businessman. And we wish him well on his journey in receiving treatment. Next stop, the United Kingdom. Prince Harry, son of Diana, the Duke of Sussex, husband of Duchess Meghan Markle. In 2022, Harry said, as a veteran of conflict, but also simply as a human being, I take care of what my mind ingests like a digital diet cutting out the toxic parts of the online world and the way stories are put in front of us, baiting us, is one way I prioritize my well-being. Now you want to talk about a man with strong mental health? He's one of them. To leave everything he knew behind because he knew things were toxic and very wrong in his environment, that takes guts. In 2018, Harry spoke on mental health at a closing ceremony at the Invictus Games in Sydney, Australia. He said, By simply being here and fighting back from some of the darkest experiences known to anyone, 
You have become role models for everyone at home or in the stands who might be struggling with their emotions or with a mental illness. You are showing it's okay not to be okay. And most importantly, you are showing us all that it's okay to ask for help. Why is he my hero? He's very loyal to the memory of his mother, Princess Diana, and he's fiercely protective of his wife. In his docuseries, The Me You Can't See, he revealed he had been in therapy for four years, but he didn't always see therapy as important. He said he kept his feelings to himself and avoided therapy. In his own words, I don't want to think about her, his mother, because if I think about Diana, then it's going to bring up the fact that I can't bring her back and it's just going to make me sad. What's the point in thinking about something sad? What's the point of thinking about someone that you've lost and you're never going to get back again? And I just decided not to talk about it. He still remembers the trauma Diana experienced being hounded by paparazzi. Harry says he felt powerless seeing his mother in tears. She was almost unable to drive because of the tears. There was no protection, he says. One of the feelings that come up is helplessness. Being too young. Being a guy too young to be able to help a woman, in this case, your mother. And that happened every single day until the day she died. Harry was determined not to allow Megan to be treated the way his mother was. He said, do I have regrets? Yeah. My biggest regret is not making more of a stance earlier on in my relationship with my wife and calling out the racism when I did. History was repeating itself. My mother was chased to her death while she was in a relationship with someone that wasn't white. And now look what's happened. You want to talk about history repeating itself? They're not going to stop until Megan dies. Harry vowed to break the cycle for prioritizing his mental health. Megan and I chose to put our mental health first. That's what we're doing. And that's what we will continue to do. Isn't this all about breaking the cycle? That whatever pain and suffering has happened to you, that you don't pass on? A lot of the press may not be on his side, but I sure am. Prince Harry is one hell of a man. Next up in the UK. Mm -mm, My mental spidey senses are tingling. Spider-Man. Zendaya's man. Tom Holland. In 2022, Tom made an Instagram post and informed his over 67 million followers he was taking a break from social media to focus on his mental health. Tom said, I find Instagram and Twitter to be overstimulating, to be overwhelming. I get caught up and I spiral when I read things about me online, and ultimately, it's been very detrimental to my mental state. So I decided to take a step back and delete the app. There's an awful stigma against mental health, and I know that asking for help and seeking help isn't something that we should be ashamed of, but it is something that is much easier said than done. His video received more than 18.1 million views and 6.8 million likes. Tom and Zendaya are a beautiful couple and seem to be happy and thriving. Go Tom! Keep protecting your spidey senses. Our next British actor was born in Birmingham, Alabama, David Harewood. His parents migrated to the UK in 1957, hoping to flee racism, but it didn't happen. 
He shared past experiences with racism in his youth. A brick was thrown through the window and feces was placed in their letterbox. He and his three siblings were warned by their parents. Certain white people didn't like them and were advised to look out for each other whenever they left the house. For black children faced with racism, deterioration of mental health happens at a young age. Harewood has played in Homeland and Supergirl. At 23, he had a psychotic breakdown where he was physically detained by six police officers, sedated, and sectioned under the Mental Health Act. Before that, he said he walked the streets of London, talking to strangers and blacking out, waking up in a different part of town hours later with no recollection of what transpired in between. Smoking recreational weed only made the situation worse. He appeared to experience auditory hallucinations, hearing the voice of Dr. Martin Luther King in his head. Afterwards, friends took him to a hospital for treatment. Harewood said, I was highly disturbed and remember being physically restrained and was absolutely terrified. I'd lost my mind. The demons were coming to get me, but I was really lucky to come through it. In 2019, he starred in Psychosis and Me, a BBC documentary, and wrote, Maybe I Don't Belong Here, where he made a connection between his psychosis and treatment stemmed in race and racism. His father, Romeo, is a native of Barbados. When Harewood was 15, his dad was sectioned and diagnosed with hypermania. He says his book was a love letter to his father. He has lived the last decade in the U.S. and Canada due to better job opportunities. He said George Floyd's death and the Black Lives Matter movement caused him to reflect on how the U.K. viewed race relations. He said, I'd seen the marches around the world and the outpouring of support and revulsion and started to notice that in England, there was this hesitation to support or instantly there was a rejection of Black Lives Matter, an instant attitude of, oh, that doesn't happen here. That's in America. Actually, he says, that's not true. It made me think of how difficult my youth was growing up. This denialism that we are so good at in England was a real spark for me to find a way of navigating into the argument, which wasn't trying to shout at people. He shared the walk from home to school was terrifying as a kid, as he didn't know if he was going to be attacked, have something thrown at him, or receive racist abuse. He adds, but when I got to school, I could be a clown and the life and soul of the classroom. That's what led me to being an entertainer. When he was seven, he was playing alone in the street when an older, hateful, and angry white man approached him and told him to get out of his country. He said, that was the start of this crack in my identity. People say to me, it's in the past. Forget about it. But it's who I am. That's what led to my breakdown. And that's the thing. Racism isn't something you can just let go or forget about. He was sectioned for five days in a psychiatric hospital. But after going home to his mom in Birmingham, his mental health declined again and the hallucinations and delusions nearly overwhelmed him. 
Afterwards, he had a brief stay in a secured psychiatric unit and was discharged with what he says was a large amount of fog-inducing antipsychotic drugs. He recovered and later became the first black actor to play Othello at the National Theater. He said, after 30 years of struggling, I was down to my last 80 quig and was taken by the Americans and put in a really prominent position in a great TV show. It has turned my entire career and life around. According to Harewood, black people get better roles in the U.S. than in Britain, even though the U.S. has a lot of racial issues. He also noted, racism in the U.S. is more openly tackled than it is in the U.K., He notes, I'm not saying America is the promised land in any way. Racism fear really upset me as a kid and I didn't want to deal with it. Whereas in America, you have no choice. Parents will sit their children down and say, these are the things you have to be careful of. The police, the authorities, etc. You have to educate them to the threats they are likely to encounter. I was too busy dealing with it on my own. The scars of slavery and the struggle for black emancipation are much more prominent and understood and are much more of an open wound in America. Over here, we don't have the numbers to have these great civil rights movements. He's been in therapy on and off since the age of 27. Now, at the age of 55, he says, it's been really helpful to be able to talk to someone about those issues that come up in my mind. A non-judgmental voice who can pose questions and help me understand why I am thinking that way or give me another side to the coin. He's received many thank yous for addressing mental health in the documentary. Harewood says, My career has actually blossomed since talking about it. We are on the cusp of a real revolution when it comes to bringing mental health to the fore. I can't tell you the amount of tweets and messages I get saying thank you, but there's still a long way to go to break the stigma. Next up, China. Jackson Wang. Yummy, yummy. Mm. How do you say yummy in Chinese? (laughs) Jackson has a new single with Sierra called Slow and a spicy video to go with it. Check it out if you haven't already. This sexy man has 27.4 million followers on Instagram and 5.4 million on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I hope he comes to Spoutable. His album, Magic Man, followed a mental breakdown. He said the album was birthed from constantly feeling the pressure of not doing enough or being enough. Can you believe he's never taken a vacation in eight years? The world is so hard on men. We really are. We're so harsh. They're expected to have the faces of gods, a six-pack, perfect skin, perfect hair, and infallible leadership abilities. They are expected to be perfect in every way. Now, ladies, please don't feel as if I'm telling you to lower your standards. I am not. I think too often women lower their standards for men who do not deserve their time. And men never do. Men do not settle for anything less than what they want without being on the outside looking in for the next best thing. While women try to take lumps of poo and make Michelangelo's David, 
That's the difference. What I'm saying is, men have different stress factors that stem from these unrealistic expectations, and it's harmful. Although Jackson was born with the face of a god and a body to match, it doesn't shield him from mental health issues. Now, let me take a detour to Taipei, Taiwan for a moment. ChatGPT is a platform some people are using as a personal therapist. I've already covered this in episode 18, but I want to reiterate, this is a bad idea. It takes years of training and hours of clinical supervision before a graduate may take an exam to become a licensed mental health professional. Yet, we're putting people's lives into AI? Giving AI the opportunity to replicate compassion and empathy is not only harmful, it is dangerous. I don't agree with Elon Musk on anything, except this. We are giving AI far too much power to control the human race. This should not be used to treat mental health conditions where the services are scarce and covered in stigma. It shouldn't be used to treat mental health anywhere. The excuses for using AI are low staff, mental health is too expensive, there are long waiting lists, and people wish to avoid judgment when seeking treatment. Okay, then pay staff more. Make mental health free or at a very low cost. Provide more funding for mental health instead of slashing it. Let's make mental health a priority in every country. I don't know about you, but I'd pay higher taxes for free mental health services. Honestly, there isn't anywhere in the world who can afford not to. The most important part, in my opinion, of having successful therapy is the rapport between a therapist and the patient. AI is not a living thing. It has no empathy or compassion. It should never replace quality human interaction, especially in mental health where human connection is needed the most. Now that's my take. Back to Jackson. Jackson said, I was in a mental breakdown with depression and huge anxiety because everything changed around me. It got to a point where I've been in this industry for eight, nine years. It's always traveling, show after show, programs, commercials, tour. It's almost in a loop. I started to feel lost. I don't even know who I was. I started drinking every day, but I was still working. Growing up, I grew up in this family full of athletes. My parents were both athletes, national team athletes. I was an athlete. My brother was an athlete. So I always said that if I had obstacles in my life or stress, the way that I deal with it is I'll just overcome it. I'll find a solution or I'll always tell myself that I have to work harder. Maybe I'm not good enough or I'm not working hard enough. The reason why there was a breakdown was it got to a point that it was above all that. I felt like maybe I just suck. What he says triggered it? Just everything. I was completely lost. By the way, I never believed in talking to other people or to friends. I always solve my own problems when I'm stressed out by myself because what's the point? It's my problem. It's not anyone else's problem. My producers, my team, my friends around me, they insisted to sit down with me. People have always been telling me, you need a break. You work too hard. You need to chill for a bit. You need to recharge, to refresh. 
so you could come back inspired. I was worried that if I take that break, I'll be lazy forever. What if I can't come back? I was worried about that. We sat down and I didn't know there was power in those words they shared. It feels so magical to me. This is magic. I never used to believe in this for all my life. Then I accepted it. Whoever I was in the past, whatever I had with all my music or whatever, me, Jackson Wang, as a character, as an artist, as a person, I wanted to leave that behind and start fresh. Then we created the album and it's called Magic Man. He says, it's important to have a circle of positive people around you. No matter how incredible you are as a person, as an artist, if you have all these negative people around you, it's going to break you down. Jackson, we wish you all the best. Your true fans are rooting for you. No questions asked. Our next stop, Johannesburg, South Africa. The delicious, the delightful, and oh so funny, Trevor Noah. Noah had a hard childhood. He says when they didn't have enough to eat, they ate worms, and he used bricks for toy cars. He said, here's the thing that I always say to people. Being poor in a group or in a community that is poor is not as bad as being poor when you know what you're missing out on. So when I grew up, we played with bricks as cars, and you smashed them into each other. And it was one of the most fun games I've ever played. The same thing with eating Mopain worms. What I didn't like was when we couldn't eat anything else and my mom said, we're gonna have to eat these Mopane worms for longer because we don't have money to buy chicken. He named his memoir Born a Crime because it was illegal for his mother, a black woman, to procreate with his father, a white man. He grew up in Johannesburg and its black township of Soweto during the strict racial separation regime of apartheid. He always felt like an outsider, not quite black like his mom, not quite white like his dad. He shared he saw his father very sporadically in his life. Noah said the law forbade anybody of different races from mixing. And according to him, his grandfather used to call him master. Can you imagine? He said that's how he referred to me, master. And he'd always force me to sit in the back of the car. What can the police say if I say the master is sitting with me? His parents and grandmother lived in constant fear the police would find him. And what would have happened had he been found? According to him, he would have been taken away to an orphanage. So his grandmother was always hiding him. Noah says, I was in pandemic before pandemic even existed. Now imagine that. Being a child. Being hidden. Not for anything you've done just for being born. He loves his mother, Patricia Noah, fiercely and said she raised him almost as if he were white with no limitations on his accomplishments. He wrote it was just the two of them, he and his mom against the world. Then she married a man, Abel, who was physically abusive to her and even shot her in the head. Noah says the bullet hit her in the head but missed her spinal cord and the nerves but cut a piece of her nostril off, just one side, and the bullet went out clean. In her trauma, his mother tried to comfort a young Noah, as mothers do. She said, shush Trevor, 
Trevor, don't cry, baby. He said, no, mom, I'm going to cry. You were shot in the head. And she said, no, no, no. Look on the bright side. He asked, what bright side? She told him, no, at least now because of my nose, you're officially the best looking person in the family. What a remarkable woman and a remarkable son. I hope Abel stepped into the first volcano he came across. Woman beaten asshole. Trevor stepped into John Stewart's shoes on The Daily Show, but has recently stepped down after a long and prosperous comedic ride. Trevor, we're a long way from the past kings of Africa, but you're definitely a modern king in our book. We look forward to seeing what you do in the future. I think we ask far too much of the good men out there. We should be more mindful of how we treat them, myself included. I have a certain type I view as sexy, but that's a story for another day. A huge hello and thank you to the seven countries outside of the U.S. who listen to our Amerisogyny podcast. Brazil, Germany, Spain, the U.K., Sweden, the Philippines, and Canada. I hope we have listeners in every country someday. So, if you have friends abroad, tell them about Amerisogyny. And a special shout out to my amazing Spottable community in the U.S. and abroad. We're one million times better than Twitter. Above all, be kind to the men who are kind to you. Not all of them are bad. And not all of them should be expected to be living, breathing superheroes either. And men, please be kind to yourselves. You've earned it. I had so many more men lined up to talk to you about. But I'm out of time. If you like this episode, feel free to follow me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBot, Overcast, or wherever you listen from. I will be back next week with a story or two. Be easy, have a good weekend, and as always,